Hey, welcome to episode 137 of Scar Bearers. I'm Chris D.T. Gordon. I'm happy to have you here with me today. And I actually have an actual guest that we'll introduce in a minute. But in the meantime, thanks for being here. Please like this episode, subscribe to the podcast, and share it with others who might need some hope and inspiration in their lives. Also, and I haven't done this in a while, but please check out chrisdtgordon.com if you want me to spread the attitude of gratitude to your school or organization, or you can go to chrisdtgordon.biz, B-I-Z, if you are a business that would like my message as well. So as I mentioned earlier, I actually have a guest with us today. I know we've had some scheduling issues that we've had to work around, but we're back at it. And my guest today is Deanna Creek. Deanna, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Today is a very good day. It is indeed. Truly is. And as I didn't mention before, this is new information for the audience. We are NF siblings. For those who do not know, NF here on this channel stands for necrotizing fasciitis. Many of my uh, former and my current guests have been in contact with this dreaded disease and have survived. And Deanna, I'm so excited that you're here to share your story. Why don't you walk us back a bit to life before NF? Well, life before, um, it was just very routine. Uh, just get up at the crack of dawn during the week and uh, get ready for work and say goodbye to my dogs. I have four dogs. Okay. Where do you work at or where did you work? Um, I work um, in a correctional facility uh, okay. near downtown Fort Worth and I'm an office clerk and uh, I work in the admin section. And um, anyway, so go to work and um well, several months before this all happened, um, we were very shorthanded with our security staff. So I'd often stay late or work double shifts to help out with security. Um, I get the same or the admin people get the same exact training as security. So it, it wasn't really anything new. It was just a lot of hours on your feet and just um, anyway, just a little bit of stress here and there, just working that many hours. Um, not 18 anymore so <laughs> but um anyway so uh, yeah then I come home and fix dinner and snuggle with the pets and watch my favorite tv shows okay. and um and on the weekends just um uh, you know do whatever needed to be done around the house and hang out with friends and such. Yeah. So I, I know a lot of people are wondering that this might be the most important question that I ask. What kind of dogs and what are their names? Okay. Uh, actually, I um, at the time that this all happened, I had four dogs, two Maltese, uh, my boy Marty, he was 15, my girl Sarah, she was about 14, and Ladybug, she was a Chihuahua. Mm -hmm. A Chihuahua Italian Greyhound mix. She's a real cutie. Weighed six pounds, soaking wet. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was a senior dog too. We don't know how old she was. And uh, mm -hmm. Superman, a 
chubby chihuahua. He's 14 pounds of love. And um, anyway, so uh, yeah, they're, they're sweet dogs. They're all rescues. They're all seniors. Okay. All right. Well, good on you for not only, uh, you know, working in the correctional department. I know that's very challenging work, but also for giving those loving animals a, a great home. Yeah. Yeah. They've made a difference in my life. It's like who rescued who? And yeah. um, that's they what I hear that a lot well. of times from people who, <laughs> uh, who take in uh, shelter animals. Yeah. So, so you were, you were just basically living your best, you know, living your best life, you know, going to work and then you have your animals and the weekends you're having fun with friends. And so what changed it all? And I know the answer to the question, but I was trying to work us into that. Oh, okay. Well, actually what happened, um, uh, I think it was on a Tuesday night, I was getting ready for bed and, um, I found a lump on my lower inner right thigh area. And um, I thought it was just a boil. I've had these before, not just in that area, but you know, like, like in my armpits and stuff. And I thought, well, it'll go away on its own and, uh, or it'll rupture on its own and it'll be fine. And uh, the next day I went to work and just as the day progressed, I started feeling worse and worse. I knew I was running a fever, but we didn't have a working thermometer okay. in the office. You know, when uh, COVID started, we um, had thermometers there, working thermometers, and we were required to uh, have our temperature taken when we got there. And it's kind of sloped off now that things are getting back to the new normal. Yeah. But um, anyway, so I was just feeling bad and feverish and went home and took my temperature and it was at 103 mm. and that place on my leg had gotten bigger it spread it out and I'd say it was like about softball size it went from being like a pea size to softball size oh, you know right. just a matter of I told my roommate Sharon I said um can you take me to the ER uh, something's just not right and uh so I got there and waited about an hour to see the doctor and he looked at it and he said, it's cellulitis. He said, your diabetes isn't under control, is it? And I admitted that, yes, I lately I haven't been paying attention. I haven't been taking my blood glucose checks and um, that I'd just been throwing caution to the wind and eating whatever I want. And you just can't do that when you have type two diabetes. And mm -hmm. I found out soon enough why. Yeah. So um, anyway, he sent me home. He said, I'm not going to uh, try to uh, lance this because he said he doesn't think anything's going to come out. And I didn't want to send you home with a hole in your leg. So instead, he sent me home with two antibiotics and hydrocodone. Okay. And um, so I went home and the next day I wasn't feeling any better. I called into sick um, or called into work sick two days in a row. And the weekend came around and uh, I was still feeling bad. I was uh, running a high fever. I was sweating real bad, waking up in a cold sweat, my clothes drenched. And I just didn't understand what was going on. But um, the doctor did tell me, the ER doctor did tell me that um, if my condition didn't improve to come back to the ER. So he did tell me that. Okay. And so Sunday, the pain was so bad too in, in my leg that I could 
barely walk. And um, so Sunday I decided to go ahead and just call for an ambulance because I was in no condition to drive. And I thought if I took an ambulance, they could get me into a room faster rather than me sitting there waiting with several other people. Yeah. And um, anyway, so that turned out to be the right decision. And uh, so they picked me up. They said, can you at least walk out here? And I said, I'll try to, but you probably need to go ahead and bring the, the stretcher a little bit closer. And anyway, as soon as we got in there in the ambulance, uh, the EMT took my vitals and he said, uh, well, your blood sugar is 387. It's never been that high before. Yeah. And um, he said, and also you have sepsis. And um uh, I don't know if I can curse on this, but shit just <laughs> you can you can edit, of course, but uh, <laughs> yeah, shit just got real, and yeah. um, because I thought sepsis was what happened to people that were in their final stages of life, like cancer patients, mm-hmm. and um, he said, "Well, I can give you some morphine," and again, I thought morphine was for cancer patients, and I said, "Sure, if it's going to stop this pain, go right ahead." So. Mm-hmm. He did that and he did his promise, got me to the hospital in a room immediately and they got me settled in. And then before I knew it, I was taken off to get a CT scan and um, the physician in there that did the scan said, well, you got a lot of stuff going on down there. I said, "Uh, yeah, I I think so. And uh, anyway, so they got me back to my room uh, and um, before I knew it, before the doctor could finish getting the sentence out of his mouth that we need to take you into surgery, in comes these two nurses with a gurney saying, okay, we got to get you to surgery right now. Hmm. And I was just in shock and I didn't even have time to call or text my sister-in-law. She's a physician and I usually consult with her about any medical things I have going on and I just didn't have time to get a hold of her and So anyway, you know, I started to cry and then the nurse called me down and said, you're going to be just fine. So they took me in and um, they did the surgery and cut me open. And I found out later they were doing something called a, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this word right, debridement. Yeah, debridement. And uh, where they went in there and made an incision and took out all the... uh, necrotized um, material in there the uh, skin and stuff that had gone dead and um, I still hadn't heard that term necrotizing fasciitis until like several days later because as far as I knew I just had an infection yeah and um, anyway so about I don't know about a day and a half later they said we got to get you in surgery again So I guess they had to go in there and scrape out some more dead tissue. And um, anyway, so. um, Yeah, they have to get out everything or else it'll just the whole process will start again. Yeah, exactly. But uh, so I was in the ICU for about four or five days. I probably would have gotten out sooner, but they were trying to find a room for me. And there were three people ahead of me also waiting for rooms. And they finally were able to get me on the oncology floor, which when I told, you know, friends that were coming up to the hospital, they said, you got cancer? 
I said, no, this was the only room that was available was happened to be on the oncology floor. And um, anyway, so I notified my brother and sister-in-law and they came up and my sister-in-law explained to me what necrotizing fasciitis was or neck fasci. And um, I was like, well, good grief. Um, I'd never heard of it before. And uh, one of the doctors I spoke with, he said, you know, this can be caused by, you know, uncontrolled diabetes. And he thinks that was the case because um, some people get it when they're exposed to like um, stagnant water or they'll get a cut just doing everyday things in the backyard. And yep. then all of a sudden, that, I, uh, yep. I scraped my back, back of my right hand on my garage wall. Oh, but yeah, I remember reading that story that. Wow. That's just yeah. crazy. But um, anyway, so, um, you know, it was just, I guess to me, it was embarrassing and humiliating where the cuts were. The nursing staff was fine. They didn't make me feel ashamed or embarrassed. I did that to myself. And um, so I didn't tell too many people about this just because of the nature where it was like close to my lady bits down there. So um, anyway, but um, you know, I had to tell people or my boss at work and they sent somebody up there right away to get uh, fill out uh, paperwork for uh, family leave FMLA paperwork. I think is what they call it. And so I got that filled out and my job, um, the company also has a special uh, fund that's uh, meant for people that uh, experience catastrophic illnesses. And uh, basically they give you a, like a Pell grant of $500. You never have to pay it back to help you with medical expenses. Mm -hmm. And so I filled out paperwork for that. And um, it was just really hard, the area where it was. And then I met the, um, wound vac team and they were wonderful they're just really good i uh saw them monday wednesday and friday and um i didn't understand the full process all i knew was they were um putting something inside there in the area the other story i think they put some kind of foam or something in there it seems like um and uh, they go in there and clean it out really good and put gauze in there and tape it back up. And they put that hose in there and tape that up with uh, this super tape. It looks like that metal tape that you've used to wrap up your uh, pipes in the wound. I don't know what you call that stuff. Yep. But um, anyway. The wound backers uh, is what you're describing, so, uh, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, the thing, the canister that all that junk was going into that they were sucking out of me uh, reminded me of one of those old vacuum cleaners, the canister type. And it was heavy like that too, because they got me up and walking like pretty quickly. Once I got into a regular room out of ICU. And um, so I was on a walker and had to carry that in the catheter too. And um, so I started walking up and down the hall and, um, and had to use the, well, at first I had to use um, bedpans and, uh, you know, they don't make them like they used to. I guess they used to be metal and now they make them out of some kind of really hard PVC or plastic or something. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so um, 
and they got me up on the potty chair. And one day, um, I remember one night in particular, um, the, there were two nurses in there and one said, well, I've got to get the chair ready. It's just not ready. And, um, anyway, um, so the other nurse, you know, she told the other nurse to just make sure I stayed steady because I was standing up. So I just leaned forward and gave her a big bear hug and put my head on her shoulder. I just, for whatever reason, I just needed the human touch right then. So I'm sure they get that all the time, but, um, anyway, so, um, but, uh, I started getting stronger every day and started I was just celebrate any little thing that I could do. Oh boy, I can pull myself out of bed now. Oh boy, I can use the potty chair. Oh boy, I can sit up in the the big chair and watch TV for a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, so um, the physical therapist didn't think I needed much therapy because, you know, as far as relearning to brush my teeth and my hair and all this other stuff, They said, well, you seem fine with that. We just need to keep you walking. And so I did. And um, I guess I was about there for about three weeks. I was at Arlington Memorial. And then uh, I was transferred by ambulance um, to the Kindred Hospital across the street, which was um, it's a hospital that's uh, it's a specialty hospital that cares for patients with uh, wounds and stuff and specialty care, I guess you say. Mm-hmm. And um, they got me into a room there and um, the wound vac they used there was a little different. It was smaller, more compact, and it was in like this little carry bag. So you could, you know, strap it over your shoulder and, you know, walk to the restroom. And um, so it was a little easier on me and I was getting stronger and walking more and stuff and, um, getting a little more independent. Good. And, um, anyway, um, I was getting too used to it. And I remember one night I'd forgotten that I needed to unplug that wound vac, um, from the bed and I started walking and, um, it came out the hose that was in my leg came out and, uh, so anyway, I told the nurses and they tried to put it back in the best they could. And um, anyway, so they said, well, we got to get you back on a catheter. And I was like, oh, please don't. And um, I think the first time they must have put one in the catheter, it must have been when I was out of it or something. Yeah. Uh, I've heard that's the best time for them to put it in is when you're out of it, because when you're wide <laughs> awake, it's just. Yes. Yes, indeed. Anyway, so. You know, the next day I asked the nurse, is there just any way that you can go ahead and take out this catheter? It's just uncomfortable. I can't stand it anymore. So she said, well, they shouldn't have put it in in the first place. And so she went ahead and took it out. And um, I was on the uh, wound vac machine there for about, I don't know, about 10 days or so. Because um, I remember once I got off it, um, I got to go in the shower and I could go in the shower by myself and I still had to have the wound covered up and they said, we'll just change it when you get out of the shower. But it was nice getting that freedom back to be able to wash my own hair, take a shower and stuff. So, um, anyway, and then, um, they came the day where they released me from the hospital and I didn't have to take a wound back home, but they made arrangements for me to go to the 
R3 wound care clinic. Okay. And um, anyway, so they said, you know, go there. Initially, I was supposed to go there three times a week, but the first time I went there, they said they were going to try to get me home health care. So nurses would come to my home three times a week to change out the bandages. But the insurance was just, I don't know, they were going back and forth with my insurance company and they couldn't seem to make the arrangements. So I just told them, I said, I think I can do this myself. Just provide me with all the bandages and gauzes and stuff and the saline solution and I'll just do it myself. Mm -hmm. And um, so I did. I um, ended up, it was about a 31 inch incision. I think is what they told me, 31 inches. And um, I remember them wanting to show me the pictures at the hospital of it you know they said oh you got to see these and i said uh no i don't I just... <laughs> there is there's nothing saying i have to <laughs> i just didn't want to see it but once i started um changing the dressing myself i got um i had one of these cosmetic mirrors that's got the uh light bars on the sides mm-hmm. that um and so i used that to look at the wound and um so I could get the bandaging on right. And um, it was, um, it was a little shocking. It was um, just seeing that, but. Um, yeah, I remember, and, seeing, I remember the first time I saw my surgery pictures and it looked like a crime scene. It yeah, looked like oh, something no. out of a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, I did find out though, when I started speaking to health classes in high schools that I didn't really need to be there talking. All those kids want to do is see the pictures of the, of the <laughs> surgery. So it, it, that was, that was interesting. Uh, but oh, anyway, man. so your, your home, you're cleaning your own wounds. When did you start feeling like I'm going, you know, like I can get comfortable with this new normal? Um, I don't know. It was about a week into being at home. Actually, I was just, I guess, so stir crazy from being in the hospital and stuff. And I said, well, I'm going to go out and go grocery shopping. So I did. And um, I tried to walk up one of those curbs. You know how they have the uh, the handicapped, like, uh, concrete sidewalk thing. And then they have the curb right there. And yep. I always take the curb because, you know, I'm not handicapped. But uh, I was having trouble negotiating that curb. I almost lost my balance twice. Hmm. And uh, I just got tired real easily. And it's like, I think I need to kind of take it easy and maybe wait another week or two before I go shopping again. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though the, the nurses at the wound care clinic said that was fine if I wanted to do that. They said, just don't overdo it. Yeah. Just know your limits and stuff. And the same with driving. And I didn't really have a problem with driving. But um, the next time I went, my roommate, she's got a couple of them. Uh, walking canes so I borrowed one of her canes in case I had problems with the uh, curb again so okay yeah all right so and now how long ago was this okay well um it started let's see that first day was August the 10th and then the day that I first went to the hospital uh by ambulance was August 14th so this is just couple months ago yes yes okay and uh, I was released from the kindred hospital the specialty hospital on September 12th 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. You, you can tell it's been a while since I've interviewed someone. That should be one of my first questions. It's like, when did this happen? So I oh, apologize. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the fact that you're able to talk about it and share your story is fantastic, actually, because there are some people it takes years for them to come around to sharing what they have gone through. So I really commend you, Deanna, on sharing your story and being able to put yourself out there because, you know, this could help someone who is going through a similar or the same situation. Yes, yes. I've read a lot of the stories and some of them are just heartbreaking. And um, there was a story I read about a woman in England that, um, that she lost her life to neck fash and uh, her husband was telling her story. And um, the thing about neck fash that I found out from, uh, you know, looking, reading up on it is um, that it disguises itself, that it can disguise itself as the flu or, well, in my case, it was mistaken for cellulitis, which I thought, I thought mine was bursitis because it happened on my elbow. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was, you know, the doctors thought it was mm-hmm. a, just uh, an inflammation of that bursa sac. So it is very deceptive. Yeah, and it's just so important that um, you get to the doctor in a hurry if you really suspect something's wrong. I know a lot of people just hate going to doctors or they try to tough it out. You know, I try to tough things out too, but I don't know. There was something... I don't know, just my intuition or something that told me I've got to get to the hospital right now that day when I called the ambulance Mm -hmm. and, um, but you got to act on it fast because it's just unbelievable how fast it spreads. It's just crazy. It is. It is. It's relentless. Yeah. So, so, you know, as you're going on in your new chapter of life, Deanna, how has this changed your perspective? Well, it's changed me in that um, I'm not taking my health for granted anymore. I'm um, eating healthier. Um, my work, actually, they're, they're in conjunction with a, a company called Virgin Mobile, and they gave us these um, free, it's called Max Buzz watches that keeps track of your steps and stuff. And um, so I've done some of the challenges through work on that. And they've also partnered with a program called um, Real Appeal. That's a whole healthy lifestyle change kind of program that also incorporates exercise because people who know me know how much I hate exercise. Mm -hmm. The only exercise I ever really loved was playing softball. And I had to give that up years ago when I started gaining weight and the doctor told me it's just too stressful on your joints. You know, when you lose a hundred pounds, you can play softball again. And I just haven't been able to, but, um, both these programs have really helped, but, um, and just, um, all the people that you love, don't hesitate to check on them every once in a while. If you can't call them every day, just say, Hey, how's everything going? Cause I'm on the downside of my fifties. And so are a lot of my friends. And so now I'm trying to check in with them more often and family members and stuff just to make sure everything's okay. You know? Yeah. So, you know, what's next for you? I know you said you're looking at, you know, improving your lifestyle. Are there any goals that you've set for yourself? I know a lot of people, a lot of our NF siblings, they set goals for themselves because they're inspired by this new lease on life. 
Oh, yes. Um, I don't know. I guess it's keeping my A1C level down this last time. I think it was November 11th when I had it checked, had the lab work done and everything came back normal on my a, A1C went from 7.2 to 5.4, which is really good. Uh, ideally, it's supposed to be seven or less. And last year, it got up as high as 10.1, which is just horrible. And uh, so I'm trying to pay more attention to that. I'm trying to get moving more, even doing things like parking further away at the grocery store, even at work, parking further away and walking and taking the stairs anytime uh, I can and uh, just getting out there and just, you know, getting more healthy and just um, being grateful for everything. I'm just thankful and grateful to be alive. Yeah, I, I, I definitely concur that really quick. A1C, what is that? Okay, that's um, uh, that's your average uh, blood glucose readings. It goes over like a three or six month period. Well, for me, it's a three month period. So over 90 days, mm -hmm. it's the average of uh, your readings. Okay. And um, so anyway, you know, when I'm paying attention to what I'm eating and paying attention to the carbs and, you know, not taking in any sugar that's not necessary, it'll be a lower number, which is better. And uh, I had a little bit of a health scare last year when my, uh, blood panel for the liver it showed there was some abnormal activity in my liver and uh i saw a liver specialist and he told me to cut out all bread he said uh no rice uh no bread no tortilla chips you know stuff like that and uh, i did i did that for about three months and um i lost oh about 35 pounds oh wow and uh but unfortunately, once I got back on bread, because I did, it um, all it didn't all come back, but some of it started creeping back on the yeah. weight. But um, yeah. so it's just amazing how when you cut something like that out of your diet, how much of a difference it can make. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So, Dana, as you you know start looking towards this new chapter, what is something that you maybe took for granted or neglected that you not now are thankful for or something that happened or it was in your life that you really didn't appreciate, but now you have a greater appreciation of it. Okay. Well, uh, I guess my job, because, um, I was so afraid I was going to lose my job, but it turns out my employers really liked me mm -hmm. and, once I was gone there, absent there for two months, um, they found out just how tedious my job was. That it took like three other people in the office to do my job. Yeah. And um, so um, anyway, I'm I'm real grateful for that. And uh, I don't piss and moan anymore if they say, "Can you stay over a couple hours?" Or, you know, it's just like, "Okay, sure, fine." But. Um, I, I just can't do double shifts anymore. So, but you know, so if they ask me somewhere down the line, I'll try to barter with them on that a little bit, I guess. But um, okay. yeah. And um, yeah, just don't uh, take for granted that, you know, I can do something tomorrow because we're not promised tomorrow. Nope. And um, 
but I know that, but I can still look forward to tomorrow and uh, just be grateful for being alive today. Uh, there's just so many people that it just, this strikes them and they just don't survive it. But um, so anyway. No, I, I really appreciate that answer and I totally concur. And yeah. I, and I also had a, a, an employer that helped my family out greatly when this happened to us. And so it was uh, very fortuitous that, that that's where I was working. So yeah, yeah. I, I definitely know where you're coming from. So as we uh, depart here, I do have one more question to ask you. Okay. Okay. What is your favorite dinosaur? Uh, pterodactyl. And why pterodactyl? Just because I like saying pterodactyl. <laughs> that is pretty fun. <laughs> But do you, do you know do you know about the pterodactyl? Do you uh do you know why you can't hear them go to the bathroom? No, why? Their pee is silent. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I'll have to tell that one at the office. <laughs> Definitely, you have to let me know how it goes over. <laughs> well, Diana, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure to get to know you, and I really wish you the best and I look forward to hearing more of your exploits. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Anyway, thank you. And so folks, I really appreciate you being here with us today to hear Deanna's story. If you want to reach out to me, you can do so by clicking on the show notes below or saying, you know, stopping by chrisdtgordon.com or chrisdtgordon.biz. If you want me to visit your organization to help share the attitude of gratitude. But with that, I wish you adieu. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Please have a great Thank day. You. Take and care. Remember and to pass the perfection and go for greatness. Bye.